Hi, and welcome to episode 163 of No Crying in Baseball, the There's No Crying in Baseball episode. My name's Patty, and I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey there. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. How are you doing? and to you, and to you. Um, Have you recovered from your food coma? Barely, barely. We took a little walk in the woods today. That was kind of nice. Get some fresh air. We're out of quarantine, so that's good news. The kids' COVID test came back, so... All, all is good. All is happy in pot- potty mouth land. How about you? Did you have a good weekend? I did. I had a good weekend. Um, christened the fire pit um, oh, so nice. we can socialize outside. It's all good. Hey, we have a tiny little bit of cross training that I want to start with today that just happened yesterday yeah. in the world of college football. Sarah Fuller of Vanderbilt became the first woman player to ever take the field in any of the Power Five college football conferences. She is the um, the championship goalkeeper for the Vanderbilt soccer team. And because of all the players down for COVID, the football team went shopping for kickers and they found Sarah and she got to do the kickoff of the second half to a standing ovation and history in the making. So congratulations to Sarah Fuller, more breaking of that glass ceiling. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the sideline of that is more of that, you know, like this could have happened without the COVID emergency. We need more schools to be looking in this direction. And hopefully, you know, all these breaking of the firsts will mean just leading into the many, right? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about starting right now, because on today's show, we are so happy to welcome back Anika Oreck, the illustrator, cartoonist, writer, and baseball fan that we talked to way back in episode 155 about her artwork as part of the Negro League Baseball Museum fundraiser. And today, Anika is here to talk about her book, The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. We couldn't be happier to have her back. Hello, Anika. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure. We're we're so glad you could make it. I am so excited. I mean, I'm happy to have a happy week, you know, that we can focus on your book and happy things. And I have to say, I really loved reading it. And it's not a fast read because there's so much to look at while you're reading, which is a, really an amazing thing. And I feel like the the beauty of the book comes from you weaving all these pieces together. And I, I'm curious about how you did it because you have the the gorgeous illustrations and then you have sort of like the the running story, the text, what, what happened with the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And then you have quotations both from historical that you brought in and stuff that seems like present day from, I think from your interviews and from others and bringing all of those elements together on one page. How did you do that? That it's just gorgeous. Well, well, thank you. That is very kind. And I agree. We need a we could use a happy week. So this is yeah. a happy week for me <laughs> to technically start mine. Um how the hell did I do that? I don't <laughs> I say that on a daily basis. <laughs> I wonder the same thing. I don't know if you ever like if you've ever like built something in your house or done some sort of thing where you, you set out and you were like, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? And then you did it. And then like weeks later you pass by the thing and you're like, how did I do that? I don't think I could ever do that again. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like another example, but basically I, I find myself looking at, <laughs> this is going to sound so dumb, looking at my own book and, and looking at it, from like, as if I didn't do it, almost like it was just some sort of weird, uh, like out of body experience for 
three years of my life. And then, you know, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but I, I wonder if I could ever do that again. I don't, I don't know that I could, but I think as far as what you're referring to in, in the content, I think it's partially <laughs> due to the fact that I have ADD and I just love like, <laughs> like, well, do I do it like this? Do I do it like this? I want to do all the things. Um, but then also, you know, I, I really, really love, I think one of my favorite things about history and how it um, sort of intertwines with art and music and, you know, is that it is all the things. So you can look at any point in history and, um, you know, in school, we're taught like, okay, memorize this date, memorize this battle name, memorize Mm -hmm. the, you know, the whatever. And, and I know that's all important to a degree for context. But for me, the thing that was so amazing when I got out of like the public school system and into college (laughs) was learning that, oh my God, everything influences everything. So when you're looking at say like, I don't know, Soviet art and photography and the angle lines and the whatever, and then how certain angles and cropping influence design and then certain things influence politics and then politics influence art and then art influence photography. And then you know, all these things, it's like this big um, cultural, <laughs> as your your cat is agreeing with me. Yeah, um, yeah, he is. He, he tends to interject himself into every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so I guess that's, that's kind of where that came from, is I felt like I, I wanted to really capture the spirit of something and the moment in which it happened. And I I wanted to incorporate all of the things, the stories from the people who experienced it, but then also there's so much else going on. There's newspaper, you know, the, what the media is covering, what's actually happening in gender roles and politics and sports and art, um, you know, all the things. So that was kind of my, I don't know, my ADD attempt at putting all those things together to capture a moment. It's, it's just gorgeous. Is So was there any first, like when you first started working on it, what was the first thing you did? Was it a picture? Was it writing part of the narrative? Um, well, I guess you could say the very first thing that happened happened actually before the book idea even came to be or the book came to be, which was that uh, I was putting together a different book of just my baseball work, like ballpark sketches and, and ball, uh, baseball illustrations, just as um, my own little self-published thing. And as I was going through drawings, just kind of having a realization that there were very few women in my drawings and it just Mm. sparked a larger thought that just kind of like grew and grew and grew with this realization of like, this is kind of weird and also kind of boring, like visually. (laughs) And also I'm a woman and I, 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 it had never really kind of been, I, I hadn't had too many experiences to be honest of, of, being patronized or you know little things here and there but really my experiences had been positive but the further I got into it the more time I spent in baseball the more I experienced those things and I I started to become aware of them and I just felt this need to kind of represent different stories that weren't maybe being told of course uh a league of their own everybody knows that story and knows that movie so maybe I started at like from like kind of a, the easiest starting point. But when I started there and started digging, I found real stories and I found myself identifying with those stories and just being so excited about them and loving the juxtaposition visually as an artist of, you know, the toughness and the grit and the athleticism of women at a time when they were expected to be the complete opposite. 
and were really socially in a lot of ways uh, the complete opposite. And I loved that idea of of taking those stories and and playing with them and making them visually appealing. So I did some drawings it, just for fun, and I included them in my little self published thing that I did. But then I just kind of couldn't get enough of it. I, I was going to just leave it at that. Like, I'll just kind of do some drawings. But I just kept feeling this need to keep telling these stories and illustrating them. So I finally thought, well, I'll just pitch a book idea to Chronicle and see if they go for it. Um, and, and they were the only ones I, I sent book pitches to because I really love everything they do. And it, it wasn't really like a thing where I was like dying to get a book published no matter what. Um, it just was something I thought would be cool and fun. And um and it worked out. Uh, so from that point, after signing the contract and going into it, uh, the first thing I did <laughs> was buy myself a ticket to the All-American Girls, the Players uh, reunion, the annual reunion. Good move. That's I great. I could just do that. I, I, wow. like, I, I saw online that they had it. And I, I remember thinking, wow, wouldn't it be so cool to be able to go to one of those? How do I go? How can I, like, do I need, like, a press pass? Do I pretend that I'm a journalist like how do I, I was thinking of all these schemes of how to like cheat and lie my way <laughs> and then I, and then I was like to get your ticket click here I was like oh I can just do that okay um so I didn't know anybody and I I finally got a check for part of my advance and I just spent it um traveling and researching um so I started there and I met a lot of women there and then from there I went on to um I spent some time in Rockford and in uh, Illinois, South Bend, Indiana, a few of the cities where these teams originated. And there are a lot of archives there. There are a lot of local history museums um, and a lot of players who stayed in the cities and towns where they had played or nearby. Um, wow. Just, that's you know, that kind of, that kind of, um, it kind of moved outward from there. The more people I met, more they helped me meet other people and the more access I had to interviewing other women and and then they would give me tips on archives and oh you should check this museum you know so it really just kind of grew from from that one first trip but um yeah it was such an adventure it was so much fun the making of it was um it, it wasn't easy but there was no part of there was never a moment where I was like oh my god what am I doing this is you know I was so I just had so much fun I have to say one of the images in my head when I'm looking at all of these um, all of these component parts laid out is like a scene from Criminal Minds or one of these like, you know, procedural shows where there's this great big board and all these ribbons are chalk lines that are connecting all of these pieces together. Well, that's creepy because that means you probably saw into my studio. I don't know. What you're <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say that out loud, but maybe. But. <laughs> So, so one of the stories that you told, one of the pieces that you brought out that I didn't get from my vast knowledge of the league based on seeing the movie seven times was, <laughs> was that the focus, there was a real focus about playing in the league as being a job, like a well-paying job that helped these women provide for their families, you know, sending money home to their parents or, you know, some of them were married and this was like, you know, the, the breadwinner of the family that the word professional kind of came in later and the saving for college and how many of the women in the league went on to college compared to like the national average. This was all a big surprise to me. Yeah, that was a big surprise to me also. Isn't that incredible? Like I, I, I think it's really especially interesting because, you know, the movie is amazing and no one would know anything about it if it weren't for the movie. And that's, you know, I, I think that's the truth. But um, even the movie didn't really give you insight into 
how progressive it was. And there is this sort of, um, what's the word, I guess, like attitude or stigma socially about uh, women in sports, for example, uh, right here at Vanderbilt, the woman you were just speaking of who was introduced as a kicker for, for the Vanderbilt team, there's kind of this attitude of like, well, lucky you were letting you play <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, um, like letting, like how great, how fun that you had the opportunity to play baseball. Well, that's true. Isn't it novel? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was treated as a novelty at first, of course, but uh, Wrigley, when he started it, knew that if he was going to get anything with any amount of longevity that, that wasn't just cute skirts and, and um, a novelty that, that he really wanted to create something competitive that would uh, maintain something entertaining for, you know, people would have some sort of local entertainment after working in factories all day doing war production stuff and they couldn't go anywhere. And so they needed something that would actually sustain. And he kind of viewed it as his patriotic duty. So he knew that in order to create this, he needed actual athletes that could really play. And if he was going to get people like that, he, you know, he had the foresight to treat them like professional athletes so that they would act like professional athletes. And, uh, and it worked. And that's pretty amazing for that time. But I just think, (laughs) why, why is that not working now? I mean, it worked then. And that's the most incredible part of the story to me is that we have a perfect example of this kind of thing working way before anyone thought it would be able to and it worked. So why exactly can't we do it now? One of the things that 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 the um, that Sarah Fuller, the the kicker, just brought out, you know, and all the men kind of getting not all the men. I'm sorry. Some reactions from some <laughs> primarily men were women are trying to get in on our turf, and there was a little bit of that in your book about as men were coming back and ready to start playing again. It seemed like the major leagues started feeling threatened by the idea of women, so they had to actually draw lines in the sand that weren't there before. Yeah. And I think that's so it's, uh, I mean, not to, you know, not to hurt anyone's fragile ego, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> because, you know, like, well, there, I, 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 one of the things that was so fun and in a, in a, oh my God, this is crazy kind of way was finding newspaper and periodical articles that talked about women in baseball in a certain way or it's like oh my god they actually printed this this is real like this they would actually print this and one of the articles that like really got to me was actually in the san francisco examiner where the the writer referred to women first of all he spelled women as w-i-m-m-e-n that made me nuts (laughs) yeah yeah well, I was thinking that that goes back to sort of like, you know, I don't know, late 80s feminist writing, like we used to do that, like on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and he says, you know, they've, they've taken over He-Man pursuits, like driving trucks and buses and taxi cabs. <laughs> and they're, they've, they're working as riveters in the plants, and they've invaded the halls of Congress, and they're becoming governors and wedging my favorite is he says they've wedged their shapely ways in the law of medicine. <laughs> That's so awesome. But then, you know, but then he ends it with, but baseball, like this can't be like they can't, but they can't come into baseball. But riveting and driving trucks is a okay if they must. (laughs) (laughs) If if they have to, but it's just like completely confounding, but also amusing to me that there are still men who will, I mean, this was printed, this was written by a writer that was published in a newspaper. So in that way, maybe it's different, but people have no problem taking to public spaces and saying these same things. And I 
I think it's so bizarre. Like what about this is so yours that I mean, like no, no one's going to replace you with anything. It's just, and also like, this is a guy, you know, I'm sure 90% of the guys who spoke up and said things like that are sitting on their couch like without a hope in the world of playing professional football. Yeah, they're not going to be out of a job because of any of this. Yeah, no one's, no one's taking over your insurance accounts. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> uh. Definitely. Well, thinking about, you know, you know, sort of the enthusiasm behind it on both ends, one thing that really jumped out to me about the quotations that you used was the level of enthusiasm and passion and excitement that these women have about baseball. And it's just so far above and beyond what you see from sort of the average baseball player nowadays, that every time they talked about a play, it was like the best feeling. And it was there was so much excitement behind it. Was that so common that it was easy to find quotations like that? Or were you looking for that tone to sort of make a point in the book? Oh, the, the, that was not hard to find at all. And it was really one of the great joys of interviewing some of the women that I interviewed was that there was this amusing thing that happened more often than not, where especially, you know, you're like cold calling these women. A lot of the time they have wow. no idea I'm going to call. And then I have to, you know, and I hate, it's like so far outside of my comfort zone too. I really don't ever want to bother anyone or it just, I didn't want to bother these women, but you know, and then you call and they're like, well, who are you? Wait, what are you doing? Why, you know, and they weren't, uh, they weren't rude, but understandably guarded, I guess you could say. And um, uh-huh. so trying to kind of ease them into it and say, you know, you don't, we only have to talk as long as you want to, but um, this is what I'm doing. And uh, they would, you know, kind of like, well, all right, what do you want to know? You know, <laughs> kind of just like, fine. But, uh, and then, I, you know, I'd start asking them questions and I think maybe they didn't expect me to have any knowledge beforehand, or maybe they were used to getting kind of like the sort of school report thing. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't want to, I'm only speculating what they were thinking, but the fun part was when you would get them going and 99% of the time it would happen where you would ask a question that would prompt some sort of memory and they would go from giving you kind of just like the blanket answer, you know, like few sentences. Yeah, I loved it. It was great kind of answers into like, suddenly they would, you could see the moment where they were stepping into a memory. And suddenly they would start going and they would start relaying. I mean, then the details that a lot of them remembered about these plays and these games were just uh, amazing to me, like remembering who was in what position and what, you know, what happened, and then this happened, and then I threw to this. And then, you know, it just was like, wow, you're getting like a full on play by play. And they would get so into it, that most of the time, when we started, I would say, you know, I'll only take a half hour of your time or however long you want. And I would be on the phone for like hour and a half, two hours. Uh, and there were a couple calls that I unfortunately had to end because I had like something oh, wow. I had to do or one of them I was calling uh, international and it was like I was it was like watching like the uh, the um, like your electric meter go up with Christmas lights or something. It was like, <laughs> like watching my, my phone bill. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, they they just their enthusiasm was still there. And once they hit that that point where they were reminiscing and remembering, um, it was like no time had passed and they just stepped right back into it uh, and were just feeling just as excited as when they were actually playing. That was really fun. One of the other stories that you told that I did not know about was that the league started out actually as a professional softball league. This was news to me. 
And then like you sort of chronicled how many changes happened in, in a very few years, sort of reducing the softball in size and increasing the base paths, you know, until it got to be basically a baseball, you know, based an actual baseball and closer to the, the, the baseball distances. And I believe that the women that got recruited were, were actually playing baseball to begin with, right? A lot of them, yes. I, I, from what I gathered and, you know, my research and interviews and everything, I would say a good deal, if not most of them, grew up playing baseball. And then there were a good handful that were playing on local softball teams, either like for local like businesses or industries uh, or, you know, um, recreational teams. But most of the women grew up playing baseball. And so it was like really kind of an adjustment to try to move that over into softball. But there were still already in the very beginning, there were baseball rules set up and some distances were different. So it was already kind of like a baseball-ish version of softball. (laughs) And then very quickly, it just moved in that direction because I think they realized it was not competitive enough. The way they had it set up, I think it was just kind of an underestimation of, (laughs) I think it was part underestimation and part feminization of wanting this thing to work and thinking that they needed to feminize it and also not quite sure how competitive it would be. But then very quickly, I think they realized, wow, if we don't start stretching out these base path distances, and if we don't start like doing sidearm and overhand, if we don't make this ball smaller, uh, this is going to get boring real fast. <laughs> so uh, those changes happened pretty quickly. Although they they were incremental, right? You sort of recorded how each step of that process happened. Yeah. And that is all, that's another thing that surprised me in my research that is also just like amazing to me is that these changes happen incrementally, but, but almost constantly. It was like every season, something was different. And I just can't imagine showing up from one season to the next (laughs) and being like, oh, by the way, the ball is an inch smaller and the base paths are three inches longer. And, you know, like I, but they all just, they just adapted beautifully i i think from from my estimation and and sometimes mid-season i mean like oh yeah Yeah. today it's going to be different one of the things that was pervasive was the whole i play baseball you mean softball conversation which you you cited as still happening today and we see it all the time and man even rob manfred i don't know if you saw this when he was congratulating kim ang on her her gm position like oh this means so much for for baseball and softball like it doesn't mean anything for softball rob <laughs> oh my god i'm so glad i didn't see that but <laughs> oh, i'm sorry i just ruined your day yeah. didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't surprise me though and i think that's so weird and and i i especially think it's weird now that i know now that I know more after having had the opportunity to speak with women who play baseball now or who have played more recently, one of the women I interviewed for the afterward, uh, Malika Underwood, plays for Team USA. And she actually is reading an article uh, about her. They, the Women's World Cup was being played as I was writing the book. So I read an article where someone interviewed her. And the thing that sparked the idea for this afterward was that she was having the same conversation about, I play baseball, not softball. But the way that it was worded, it was like almost verbatim what a woman who had played, like a, an interview that was recorded from a woman who had played in the AGPBL. And it just struck me like, this is so weird. This is the exact conversation, but they're playing 70 years apart from one another. And it just struck me, I thought, I need to, I need to expand on this. So um, in interviewing her and then other women who played more recently, um, the thing that really struck me was that that I'm embarrassed I wasn't really aware of was just how different 
they are as sports. It's not the girls version of baseball or a more recreational version of baseball. First of all, because softball is insanely competitive and they're incredible athletes, but it's just like a totally different sport and trying to move women from one to the other, or like this young woman who's in college now, I interviewed her as she was entering into college and she was talking about being offered scholarships to play softball because there were no opportunities to play baseball in college, you know, at least not for scholarships. And she's like, that would be just as good as me being offered a scholarship to play tennis right now. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know how to play softball. I don't know how to hold the ball. I don't throw the ball. It's a totally different thing. And that just never really occurred to me until I spoke with them. So it's even weirder that someone like Rob Manford wouldn't realize the difference. He probably thought he was being so inclusive too, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Totally. I I really appreciate your afterward, though, for for educating me, not only about how they're different, but how softball, this push till softball is really insidious. You know, I mean, it would be, I, I, softball is a wonderful sport. Definitely, we should be enjoying and and promoting softball. But the fact that it was really funneled as a way to get girls out of baseball is is really distressing. That the purposefulness behind it, I guess, is what I hadn't realized until I read your your afterward. Yeah, yeah. So it's really frustrating because it's it's a strange thing that it's that baseball and softball have been sort of assigned genders, like, okay, girls play this, boys play this. And that's frustrating now. And it's not accurate now. But the beginnings of it and how softball found popularity actually is because it was assigned a gender. And it was, yeah, as you said, a way to all these court, you know, lawsuits that were going to start sliding in after Title IX. Um, and one lawsuit that really hit Little League hard, you know, they really kind of had no choice but to allow girls to play, but as their way of not letting, you know, of keeping girls on a separate field, um, they developed softball. And that's how that's how it happened. And that's, yeah, unfortunately, that's how it how it happened. Another thing I didn't realize was sort of how deep-seated the movement to get women out of baseball and the big names behind it were. So one of the quotes that jumped out of me from your book was the one by Babe Ruth, which I had never heard before. And I just want to to say it right now. He said, I don't know what's going to happen if they begin to let women in baseball. Of course, they will never make good. Why? Because they're too delicate. It would kill them to play ball every day. So we've dealt a lot with being disillusioned by men, by male (laughs) baseball players on our podcast. And and this really sucks. I mean, I had no clue. Is this something that just I wasn't aware of? Is this common knowledge that Babe Ruth had made this anti-women in baseball statement? I don't know if it's common knowledge. And I was, I, I like you, I was kind of surprised. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, I know that that, um, that quote actually came about uh, as a result of his encounter with Jackie Mitchell. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that story, but also happened mm-hmm. here in Tennessee, which is really interesting because I have formed maybe not exactly totally informed ideas about where I've moved to from California. <laughs> Um, and some of them are accurate, but it is kind of cool to see a lot of these things happen here that were like first for women. But um, Jackie Mitchell played for the Class A, uh, the Chattanooga Lookouts here in 
I believe it was in 1920, uh, late 20s. Um, They they pitched. So she was added to the roster as a pitcher. I think, again, kind of as a novelty to sell tickets. Um, But she was a really good pitcher. She she also played American Legion ball, which is really interesting. And then uh, the Yankees came to town for an exhibition game. And that was like the the murderer's row in the batting order. So you had Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and, um, oh, my God, why am I not remembering his name? That followed Gehrig. Uh, But she was brought in because the pitcher facing uh, the batter that came before Babe Ruth, he walked. So this guy brought in Jackie Mitchell and she struck out Babe Ruth and then she struck out Lou Gehrig and then she threw a couple balls. And I think she was like three and zero, and so he pulled her and replaced her before, you know, before there were any other pitches. But uh, uh, there was this whole controversy surrounding it, like, oh, they led her, and oh, you know, geez. it was part of the publicity stunt and everything. But uh, she maintained until the day she died that she gave it her best, and she she struck them out. And there is like some kind of like old timey video footage, and you know, it it's kind of it sucks because I think there's been this long standing, well, did she or didn't she? But it's to me, everything I've read, it's totally clear to me that she did. But um, in inter- and even in interviews after, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig never outright said, I gave it to her. Or they just kind of made these little comments <laughs> here and there, like, like, well, what do you think? Kind of a thing, you know, <laughs> uh, alluding to it. So was this quote after that experience? It, it was either, I, I, I don't know if it came in in interviews leading up to the possibility of him facing her or if it came after. I'm inclined to think it came after because nobody really knew if there would be a matchup between the two. But certainly not defending Babe Ruth, but just I will say that I do think that that was just such a popular point of view at the time that someone as sort of heroic of a figure like Babe Ruth and kind of a manly, heroic, every boy is hero kind of a thing um, I don't imagine him in the 20s saying like, hey, girls can play just as well as boys. Let's give them a chance. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone would have said that at that time. So as as sucky as it is, I don't think it's super outside of the norm for uh, a man of his stature and position to say something like that at the time. That That's very kind. I think that's the best way that we can look back on it because, yeah, I would hate to sort of keep thinking that Babe Ruth was an asshole, but it just came out so rough. Yeah. Other connections that we've made, we recently interviewed um, Kat Williams about her book about Lefty Alvarez. So we were super excited to see Lefty mentioned in your book as well, as well as all the discussion around the Latin American play, which, you know, especially if if one's only exposure to the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League is through the League of Their Own, there's nothing in there about this international cons- component component of it, and especially the, the Cuban Women's League, which is a big part in your book and, of course, in her book. And I guess what I'm just wondering is, was that a surprise for you? Did you have any like parts of that that were unknown before looking into it? Yeah, uh, definitely. All of it was unknown to me before I, you know, when I started diving into it, the first stories I found were stories of um, a couple of women who had grown up like in Chicago in, you know, like um, South side of Chicago, kind of rough and tumble neighborhoods, playing baseball with the boys in back alleys and 
uh, or growing up on a farm and playing with your brothers and things like that. So those are the first stories I encountered. But I knew once I started really getting into it, and when I knew the book was going to happen, I wanted to tell as much of the whole truth and the whole story as possible. So that was like, wow, that was such a big one for me to come across that whole experience, them conducting spring training in Cuba, but then also uncovering with that, the whole story of the Dodgers also conducting spring training in Cuba and the reasons why they had to do that because they had just signed Jackie Robinson and all those things meshing together were just like, it just opened up all these things that I found so fascinating. And that opened up, of course, the whole race race issue in general. And it made me start to wonder, okay, if I didn't know anything about women being recruited from Cuba and the Latin American Women's Baseball League and the Estrellas Cubanas and all of this that, you know, is not surprising if you think about baseball culture in Cuba, but very surprising to learn that this was not part of the historical component that's talked about when you talk about women in baseball Mm -hmm. or (laughs) baseball in general, really, it's completely under talked about. And And then I just started wondering about race in general. And that was harder to dig up. There was um, a lot of just sort of spoken agreement stuff in the league. I was able to uncover some meeting notes that Mary Fiddler had also uncovered. Um, I found the source documents in, in these papers that are archived at Notre Dame University. But that was about it. And you see in the movie, there's like one moment where a black woman in the outfield catches a rogue ball and they kind of, she and Gina Davis exchange knowing glances and she throws it back. It's like, okay, that topic is covered. Moving on. That's right. Check that box. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, as a kid, I always thought, wow, okay. Yeah. You know, but of course now that we, you know, as we uncover and just peel the layers of everything, it's like, oh my God, there's so much under here. And Um, I really want to share it and talk about it all. The struggle for me was being able to get the right information and not just injecting my own thoughts or speculation into any of it, because then it just kind of would would have undone the whole thing. But it is it is a privilege to have learned about as much as I did and be able to share it. And I think I'm so excited about Kat and her book about um, Isabel Alvarez for that reason, too. So when we talked to you last, we talked about your artwork because of the, the the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And I ordered one of the prints, which looks beautiful on my wall. Thank you very much. But it is of, oh. of the clowns with the three women players in there. And I knew that was from the book, but I hadn't yet read the book. And I was wondering, how are you, if the book is about the girls' league, how are you going to get that in there? And then reading the book and finding out that these women went to that league because they weren't allowed to play in the women's league was... It's like, wow, okay, I, I see what's happening here. And it was it was this weird juxtaposition of you can play with the guys, but you have to play with the men of color because you mm-hmm. can't play with the women. But yeah, but yet the Latin American women were allowed and not mm-hmm. black American women allowed. So it was it was you handled that very well, I thought. And you did tie it together very well, but it was still it was one of those times where I sat back and went, damn. Yeah. Just damn. Well, um, Oh, well, and first of all, thank you for buying that print. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's not the important thing, but thank you before I forget. Um, but yeah, I found that interesting and bothersome, not just because it has happened, but because I, we still see it. It's like you, that there's like these levels of of hierarchy of what's acceptable and, and then you gradually get down into what's not. And 
even, you know, the inclusion of Cuban women in the league and then taking a Latin American tour and all that, you know, first of all, the women that were recruited, if you see pictures of them, they're all beautiful, but they're, and they're all very light skinned. Um, so oh, there was wow. never going to be any confusion as to where, you know, and also at that yeah. time, if you look, okay, like I, I was a really, really big fan, well, still am of like mid-century animation and a lot of Disney stuff from the time and, and learning the history and researching like World War II era Disney stuff. They did a whole Latin American tour and there was this, you know, like uh, Carmen Miranda, all, mm. there were all of these figures that represented Latin America and Cuba that were, you know, like Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> they were all very <laughs> exotic and... Um, and charming, very charming. Yeah, they were viewed as like very continental and exciting and exotic. So I think that was the perspective that the league was coming from when they recruited these women into the league. Like, let's bring in some exciting exoticness, not like, hey, let's be inclusive. <laughs> Right. Um, so, uh, you know, you see... It was novelty again. It was adding to the novelty, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, while it's really awesome that it happened for a lot of these women and the result is positive, I don't think the intention was really as progressive as we'd like to think. And, you know, again, like you said, you, they there were women who were not allowed. And so their only alternative was to go play in the Negro League, which... Is amazing that they were um, included, but I, I'm actually reading Martha Ackman's biography of Tony Stone right now, and that's that's really interesting to read about um, perspectives, uh, like how she was treated and you know her experiences in playing with all men. Not exactly super rosy, <laughs> not like yeah, come on Tony, <laughs> like we would like to think. Also, so man, it's just a tough spot for them to be in. And I have even more admiration and respect for women like uh, Tony Stone and Connie Morgan and Mamie Johnson for playing in the Negro Leagues and just sticking to it and doing what they wanted to do and proving they had the stuff. It seems like other than like going to Latin America to look for players, as the league went on, there wasn't much of a a feeder system, right? You know, because there, there wasn't a, you know, like a, a minor league system to, to draw from. And that's kind of how there is now. Like when women play baseball now is there's maybe like there's a, there's like the DC girls baseball league and there's, you know, leagues here and there, but there's nothing kind of pulled together, which seems to be that that may have like fed into why the league wasn't as strong, like towards the end there. Right. And kind of petered out because they didn't have that. And certainly like now, the situation is there's no national league to feed into. So where do you go? Right. So it seems like that that's at the beginning, it was, there's not a feeder and now there's like not an endpoint. Right. No, that I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. Um, the league itself deteriorated for like a whole number of reasons that came together, but the big one being that, yeah, they were kind of their own farm system. They created amateur teams that would barnstorm and travel and they would, they also acted as like, traveling recruitment events. And then when ownership was dispersed to like local owners and there wasn't a central ownership and so they weren't investing enough money in advertisement and marketing. And then that didn't really kind of trickle down to these recruitment teams and they had kind of their own brand of baseball. And so it, yeah, it just kind of like, there was no way it was going to be sustainable at a certain point without investment in the right places. And you're right. Now there is, you know, there's wonderful organizations like Baseball for All that are really building from the bottom, you know, from the youngest upward and feeding upstream. But yeah, there's like, there's only so many positions to play on like 
the national team USA, or, you know, maybe there's a few spots in college or it's like, there are these, it's so weird because you can get to these higher up spots, but getting there has for so long been so difficult to get, to take the right path to get there. And now these paths are slowly being built, but then you get to the top and it's like, okay, well, <laughs> the top is like maybe high school, maybe college, maybe one of the few spots on Team USA or, or what's amazing is seeing women in these um, coaching positions, but you know, they can't, you can't reach those positions without some level of experience either. So knowing what we know about how, about how to get anywhere in baseball as a woman, it just, again, it makes it so much more impressive to me. Uh, and I have so much more respect for women like Alyssa Nakin or Ra- uh, Rachel Dockovic who are in these positions that like, man, you totally forged your own, <laughs> your pathway there. Or, or there were very few stepping stones that were forged for you. And to get there with the amount of opportunities that, that anyone has to get there is just so cool. I think I saw Sue Parson as one of the quotes in your book. Did you see that she's actually pushing for a National League now? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're doing a lot of work. Uh, and they also have their American girls baseball, like an affiliate thing that they're starting. Um, I don't know all the details on that, but, and I don't, I don't have details or I'm not privy to really super inside knowledge, but, uh, Jean Afterman, the wonderful, wonderful woman who wrote the forward to the book, uh, she's the assistant general manager of the New York Yankees. And she and I had been talking and she called me, this is Halloween time last year, not this last Halloween, but the one before I was in Salem, Massachusetts. And I called her about something. It was, it was a really surreal experience. Like people running by me dressed as witches and she's sitting there telling me she was so excited to tell me that they were going to start having meetings about a possible development for uh, like a women's major league baseball. But then, uh, you know, then there's holidays and then COVID hit. I don't know where any of that sounds now, but just, the fact that it had that the conversation had even reached that level was so exciting. Um, so I'm hoping that it, it continues at some point if it isn't already without me knowing. <laughs> me too. Me too. Can I tell you, I actually got a little teary eyed at one point reading your book. You may find that surprising. I don't know, <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed it. And, but one of the illustrations closer to the end was when there was a quote talking about needing to have confidence in yourself, if you're going to get on that mound, you have to be out there knowing that you're going to win the game. That's what, you know, you have to know that you're, you deserve to be there. And the illustration is clearly, you know, a veteran of the league talking to a little girl player and the veteran saying, are you good? And the little girl saying, you betcha. And I lost it. Oh. it made me so happy. It is so sweet. And I really want to um, find that print on your website. And I did not, so I'm a little sad about that, but it really, it really got me. It was like this, you know, as, as parents, you want your kids to grow up with this confidence and you do see it kind of smushed out of people sometimes. And just to see this whole embracing of the confidence and the strength was just, I just, I loved every bit of that. Oh, well, I, I understand why that got you emotional. Cause that kind of stuff gets me emotional, whether it has to do with baseball or anything. Uh, I feel the same way. And, and uh, by the way, I will totally make you a print of that. <laughs> um, I'll, I, I don't know if I'll be able to make it available for we'll everyone. Talk later. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what the interest level is. But yeah. Um, but my, my favorite quote of the whole book was, um, oh gosh. And I wish, I think it's Jackie Matson saying um, there's nothing better 
improving yourself to yourself. And it's kind of along those same lines that the whole time she was playing, she was proving herself to herself and there's no better feeling than that. And the first time I read that, I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's neat. That's, that's great. And then it was so weird. That quote took on so much more meaning for me. The more I worked on the book and the more time that passed, the more I put into it, the more women I spoke with, the more I proved myself to myself, Uh, you know, like finishing this book, I, I just, my head was down my ass is in a chair for months and months and months and months. <laughs> and I just didn't look up. I it was like, if I was going to meet these deadlines and make this thing happen, uh, ironically, pushing for a 2020 pub date, they were saying, you know, if it's too much, we can publish in 2021. And I was so adamant. <laughs> now I'm like, no. <laughs> Please God, let me get this done. <laughs> yeah, I just want to get it done in 2020. And then it, then it was published two days before everything, the whole country went on lockdown. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But, um, <laughs> ha- you know, seeing seeing it all come about and, and being like, wow, you know, proving something to yourself. Uh, it was like, I, I finally really kind of understood what she meant. And then starting to think about how that applies to everyone and everything and little girls and, and what they're, what they might see or think if they read this, I didn't write this or I I didn't create it to be a kid's book. I of course am happy for anyone to pick it up. But in my mind, I was like, God, I'm just going to be so pissed if anyone, if they market this as a children's book, it's not a children's book. (laughs) So, and even someone, someone just called it, someone just like, they were being nice. It was like, check out this book for little girls. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Is that, but then I, you know, it's also like, well, but that is so cool. If it is like thinking of young girls picking it up and reading things like that is, is very satisfying to say the least. So, oh, huge. It's incredibly inspirational. And I just want to say, as we're approaching this holiday season, this book makes the perfect gift for so many people, the artist in your life, because the artwork is gorgeous, the the women's issues person in your life because of the story around the All-American Girls, the baseball lover in your life. There are so many people that this book would make the perfect holiday gift for. How can we get it to them? How can, how can people find your book and find you? Well, thank you. You're, you're, you're both so... You're both, I just, I really appreciate your support with this. Thank you. Um, let's see. Uh, well, it can, it can be purchased anywhere where books are sold. I personally love and highly recommend purchasing from your local independent store. And if you get the order in soon enough, if they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you. On my website, uh, on my social media link, there is also an option to purchase from a Black-owned uh, independent bookstore, and they are listed. It's an article that was posted <laughs> on Oprah Magazine, but if you scroll down, there is an index by state of Black-owned independent bookstores. And then if you want a signed copy, you can purchase from me on my website. I do only have 20 left for the holiday season, so I, I have those, and I there is an option when you order it to include like a personalized message. I can personalize it for you. And, um, and then I've just come out with these, uh, a limited edition archival prints. And I will say that I don't know when people will be listening to this, but I'm probably going to extend the sale of 15% off of all the prints on my website. So that will probably be extended or I'll be doing another one soon. But yeah, as far as the book goes, I've got, I've got 20 right now, but anywhere. And then of course you can get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble <laughs> and all, all the big guys. You could do that too. And I appreciate it wherever you get it. I appreciate it. 
And and what's your website? Can we spell it out so people can't miss it? Oh yeah, that would help because I have an unusual name. Well, we'll it's put an- it we'll put it in the notes too. But well, thanks. It's anikaorock.com. So uh, my name is A N I K A O R R O C K dot com. Wonderful. Aniko, please um, keep producing wonderful baseball things so we can keep having you back because you are a joy to talk to. We really Mm -hmm. enjoy conversations with you. And please, listeners out there, go check out Aniko's website. Please, please take a look at this book. We both loved it and we think that you will too. Thank you so much. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you both. I will just keep creating if only if only to create an opportunity for myself to come back and talk with you. It's so fun. Oh, you. that's totally fine. Yeah. Anytime <laughs> you have, you have definitely an open invitation to come hang out with us. And uh, I would love to see more stuff that you create because it's just fabulous. <laughs> thank you. Thank you both so much. I just love your podcast too. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. You are very kind. Thanks again to Anika Orak, our new best friend, for telling us all about her fantastic book about the All-American Women's Professional Baseball League. Oh, no, they were girls back then. They would be women now. That's true. That, That's so true. the next league, the next league is going to be the Women's League. But we're going to link to her website and to her social media. So please do some shopping, get the book for yourself and everybody you love who loves baseball or cool artwork. Yeah. And if you want a signed copy, get on it fast. There's only 20 of those. And that would be a really great Christmas or a holiday gift, whoever you're giving gifts to. And after you do your shopping, you should um, go find us on social media and tell us what you got. And we can talk about it because we're big fans. Potty Mouth, where can people find us on social media? Hang out with us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast, Facebook and Instagram at No Crying and B-Ball. If you've got friends and family who you think might like to listen to us talk about baseball, please feel free to pass this podcast along to them. If you have a chance to leave us a review or a rating, we sure would appreciate it. In the meantime, thank you for being careful about Thanksgiving. Alia, I know you were. Thanks so much. Please wear your masks. Keep your distance. Wash your hands. Fight the man. And say goodnight, potty mouth. Good night, potty mouth. me.